0: That's when I realized that my voice matters and it's just a different viewpoint on a topic that we all might have an opinion on. And so when I realized more directly, it wasn't just an Alberta perspective or Canadian perspective, it was specifically an Indigenous one, I really got more comfortable in that, exploring that identity because I knew it was something in mine that I could craft and push forward.
1: That was Tiffany Shaw Collinge, an artist curator, and architect, based in Alberta, Canada. Tiffany says that place and climate contributes to her work in a way that can't be understated. It's as integral to her craft as much as it is to her identity. Her lineage is Métis, a fact that became more and more part of her professional life after she realized how little Indigenous voices and identity are covered. Today, she continues to explore her Métis lineage through her family, and then expressing it through her craft. So here's the first part of my conversation with Tiffany Shaw Collinge. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum dedicated to exploring Alaska's identity through the creative and critical thinking of ideas: past, present and future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. How would you describe working in Alberta?
0: Oh, I love working in Alberta because uh, there's a lot of opportunity here that is related to sort of a lot of grants that you can apply for. Um, But there's also a lot of spirit here. So if you want to do something, as long as you can follow through, people don't mind seeing something different and new. But you have to really work hard at it.
1: You said that as long as you don't mind following through, is that kind of a, an issue? People not following through?
0: I feel like people feel like you if as long as you do what you say you're going to do, mm-hmm. people are happy to work with you. So it's like people are just willing to, to be surprised and excited and delighted as long as you follow through. I think they're not going to do it for you because they don't see it the same way you do. So it's not like I'm going to create a project and expect somebody else to to deliver on it. It's like, if I'm going to do a project, I should, I'll have to kind of do it myself in order to see it differently than the way that
1: people see it here. For sure. And I, I feel like as an artist, that's something that you realize later on in your career. You know, you think that maybe certain projects or certain artistic endeavors can be group efforts and then... Uh, maybe you find out that your ambition is a little higher or lower than other people's. Mm. And then, you know, if you're one of those like higher end Mm -hmm. folks, you're like, okay, I need to do this alone. I need to, if I want this to actually Mm -hmm. be accomplished, I need to do it.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's, I think that's right. Um, I think also we're, you know, in Edmonton where I live, we're, one of the most northern cities um, in Canada and so there's a lot of communities around here that you kind of can drive to or fly to but we're still mostly remote if you think about in terms of other larger cities and how close they are so in Canada most cities are kind of remote in a way but the next largest city around our size is three, and a, three hours away But other than that, that's like you have to kind of travel like over about a day or less than a day to get somewhere else. So there's not a lot of examples of how to do things differently, I find. It's getting better because, you know, the Internet is really helping keep everyone connected. Mm -hmm. And examples are a little bit more easier to access now. But particularly when I was younger, you just didn't see a lot of diversity.
1: You know, that's interesting that what you just said reminds me a lot of growing up in alaska Mm -hmm. you know it's it's super far removed from i guess the rest of the nation uh you know the united states and so you now we have the internet that we can kind of rely on for Mm uh in order for us to kind of keep up with trends and things like that but before you know we would get commercials for stuff like Olive Garden and we would never have an Olive Garden. We didn't get an Olive Garden until like I was an adult but like people in Alaska have been salivating over an Olive Garden forever because we got the commercials.
0: <laughs> well, and, okay so when I moved to Los Angeles for my master's degree like okay so it depends who you talk to but like Red Lobster in the Olive Garden for us for our family was actually kind of a fancy thing uh, to go for a night out and I mean, I don't know if that's where I would go for like an anniversary, but maybe it would be somewhere that my family would go and it'd be kind of special to us. But when I was in Los Angeles, like because it was a suburb kind of idea, it was not looked upon as exciting. And so I think it's kind of interesting, like these bubbles of influence that you're in, Mm -hmm. um, depending on where you live or when you get there or when you get the restaurants in your area. It's kind of interesting. One other thing I thought was interesting, though, about visiting – Anchorage was that you guys have um it's like one of the large a really busy port for airplanes and so you guys get really good deals on amazon and we still don't get those like living in canada is still very expensive and so i think it's kind of interesting about how when you're connected in the states even though you're remote you still get a lot of connection in some ways whereas when you're in canada the distances still really factor in and uh, things are just really expensive. So it's interesting in that way.
1: That is interesting. I, I guess I never thought of that. So geographically, you're next to Alberta, is next to British Columbia and above the state of Montana. Mm-hmm. How much do you think place and climate contribute to your work?
0: Oh, uh, that's I love that question. It contributes 100% to what I do. I think one thing is I'm an Indigenous person, so my family is Metis, um, and we come from further north near Fort McMurray. So I was born in Calgary, raised in Edmonton, but my mother's family, they kind of come from the Fort McMurray area, which, you know, they had hunting trap lines and things like that. I think land location what's around you is always really important to note notice Mm -hmm. and when i lived out in nova scotia which is far east by the water it really bothered me to be so close to the ocean like in my studio view of my art classes like we, we could see the the port outside of our window and it was so unsettling to me but when i live in alberta in the prairies Like just seeing the large sky really makes me feel like there's calm and purpose for some reason. So those kinds of indicators of the prairie landscape are something that I use as a grounding for my work. And so when I'm somewhere else, those things kind of leave me feeling a little less settled. And so being comfortable is really important to a key aspect for me to be creative. When I'm uncomfortable, I kind of go
1: into crises. So... What does crises look like?
0: Uh, If I'm in a place that I'm uncomfortable, I start having a lot of (laughs) (laughs) self-doubt. So, and then I just start to, um, I find I need to be in a really sort of comfortable environment where people are encouraging, respectful. Mm -hmm. And um, when I'm in those places where people are disagreeing or people are not as nice to me or I'm being challenged, I sort of get really insecure. And then I'm a little less able to just sort of listen to my heart or listen to my gut about what I should be doing and creating. Those are periods of growth for me. But I find now after living in several different places in North America, moving back to Alberta, I kind of can take the best parts of those experiences and know why I'm living here is important. Is because I really love learning about the nuances of our history and our culture, and particularly history important to my family
1: have you noticed a difference in your art when you're uncomfortable like a physical difference
0: oh I Hmm. well I guess uh so I did this one piece of artwork for the Venice Biennale in 2012 I was in grad school in Los Angeles and I was really missing the snow I was really missing like the transformation between um seasons because in Los Angeles it's essentially just like you either it's either dry and hot or a little bit of wet and hot and a little bit of cold but I missed the cyclical nature of things dying and coming back and freezing Mm -hmm. so I guess when I was creating work there it was mostly about things in that were familiar to me is what I would create or I would be knit. I would be doing things that reminded me of home. Like I'd be knitting or cooking or sewing or doing things that reminded me of the lessons that my family taught me when I was younger. And so a lot of my work kind of focused on that. And in the Venice Biennale project, I was looking at a cabin that my family occupied on a trap line in Fort McMurray as a method to experience and evolve. So even though when I'm far away from there, I'm sort of thinking about that place Mm -hmm. and I don't find myself thinking about what i did in los angeles or what people do in los angeles to to respond to when i move back to canada i still will only focus on local materials because i think a it's not dis- it's not discussed as much as materiality in los angeles for example like or or in nova scotia like people have more rhetoric around the things that are being um, growing in that area mm mm-hmm. But where I live, from a design standpoint, people just aren't covering the materials here the way that they cover them down south because there's just less people writing about these things or less people kind of exploring them at the same rate that larger cities will do. So in, for example, Los Angeles.
1: And do you think that that's just because there's just more people and in lieu of more people, there's more artistic people?
0: I think, yeah, I think there's more... There's more... um, people coming together having these conversations so there are still people talking about it here and there are beautiful expressions of it There's are just less instances of it so then you sort of are not seeing it as often i think i mean that could be true or, or not true that's just how i perceive it like that there's just more people creating consensus or creating uh information around these ideas mm-hmm. Th- that could also mean that there's good and bad there's also a lot of creative people in Los Angeles, like they flock to Los Angeles. Uh, I, but I think all big cities do that. And so you just get a lot of, what happens is things come at you fast then, right? Because there's more ideas coming out. People will keep trying to do the next best thing or explore things that haven't been covered. And here that it doesn't exist in the same rate. People are still doing those things, but just not in that compressed timeline. So it's interesting.
1: How do you think your Métis heritage influences your work?
0: Uh, I would say if, if I found out tomorrow that I wasn't Métis, I would be like at a loss. I wouldn't know how to move forward because, I mean, my family has always known that we're Métis, but it's not something that we talked about commonly until recently because people seem to be okay with that knowledge and they're seeking that knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's always been sort of a core value in our family to sort of talk about the teachings that our family gives to each other. So my mom tried to always teach me different ways of craft, um, because she did so many different things. She did lots of sewing or, um, embroidery or crocheting, for example. And my grandmother was like a, a carpenter, and my great-grandmother was like a moccasin maker Mm -hmm. and they also processed the hides and used them for different types of things like embroidery and so there's this really strong craft component a part of my family and i didn't realize that it was rooted in my metis lineage until a lot more people talked about it and i understood it as being akin to that it's not like I, you know people will have like a quilting lineage in their family for example um whether they're indigenous or not and mine specifically is more related to natural materials around you that is more rooted in foraging or researching what is available just because it's about economy mm-hmm. as well like what can you afford and what's what's nearby so I think I'm very ex- interested in exploring those themes of my Métis identity because I don't see it covered a lot. I don't, there is um, a resurgence, of course, um, in the art world to understand Indigenous identity and how that plays in a contemporary art context. But it was actually when I was in Los Angeles, I didn't realize that my voice mattered from an Indigenous perspective. It was what, it was this one essay that we were reading, actually, where it was on a topic about, some, somewhere in the co- conversation, in the article, an outhouse was discussed. Um, there was two writers, an older writer and a mid, mid, um, like a, someone in their 40s and someone in their 60s were writing this article together. Mm-hmm. And the older person had written about an outhouse. And I made a comment in the classroom and I said, oh, what do I really like about this article is that there's different generations writing this article and it really speaks to like experiences that my family talk about, which is living out having outhouses, living out on the land. And then everyone Oh, there's my one year old. Oh, my one year old. Sorry. She <laughs> just had a bath. And everyone looked at me like I had like two heads because most people had plumbing. Mm-hmm. Um their parents mostly had plumbing. And I just realized that I have this more remote experience that not a lot of people have. And so that's when I realized that my voice matters and it's just a different viewpoint on a topic that we all might have an opinion on. And so when I realized more directly, it wasn't just an Alberta perspective or Canadian perspective, it was specifically an indigenous one. I really got more comfortable in that, exploring that identity because I knew it was something in mind that I could craft and push forward. And it felt right. I was never, I never felt um, okay with like copying things from the internet and then exploring that further because I didn't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. Once I realized that I actually had origins that I could go back to, it felt right, and then I felt like I could explore it more further. So, another thing, you probably have another question, but I found uh, my grandmother gave me some beading patterns by my great grandmother, just some drawings of flowers that she would use as a template to bead or to embroider. And I took those patterns and I shifted them and shaped them differently. Cause I felt like that was something I could do. It wasn't something like I had found on the internet and I could retrace or things like that. It was like hours. And so I'm really grateful for that process because I think if I hadn't really had that family lineage to mark to, I feel like I would be sort of lost still to this day.
1: So you kind of delved into your, uh, Métis background through your lineage through your family Mm -hmm. instead of having to like explore it otherwise
0: yeah or ignore it completely because it's always there all of this um information is there like when i brought my grandmother to one of my public art pieces i was showing her some of the patterns that i used i water jet cut out of some corten steel but there were some other materials I had there too. I had some cedar to create this like dovetail like joint. And then I had some rocks uh, on another part of this area that was from the riverbed in that area. But then I also grabbed some rocks from Nova Scotia where my great grandfather was from. And when I was talking to my grandma about all these materials I used, she just like casually talked about how her grandfather, her father would do like birch bark canoes. Which is just such an amazing piece of information I find because... She never revealed that to me before, um, and it's just such a casual conversation. But birch bark canoes are actually a really specialty thing. It's a it's sort of a lost art. So it's kind of nice to to do these things. And then one important thing about my family is I like to involve them a lot, whether it's through research or making them work as part of, like, you know, free labor with <laughs> my nieces and nephews. Um, having them as part of it is important because then it kind of creates a a more broader understanding of what the work is about.
1: That's great. When did you decide to include your family in it?
0: Uh, Well, I've just, I guess I try to be as resourceful as possible. And usually I just always need help doing projects. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like, you know, I've been with my husband since I was like 19. So he's just always inherently helps me with building my projects. But my nieces and nephews my mother looks after four of my nieces and nephews and so it was always important for me to have them work on my projects, so that they could see what they could do so that they could understand that art is inherent within them as well and so they would often help or work late nights to kind of help me create these objects or i would interview my mother or my grandmother or other family members about you know about their lives or what they do and When I was doing film in in Nova Scotia in in my arts, when I was doing my fine arts degree, I did a film on my brother because he has a drug addiction and he has seven kids. And I was just trying to really explore that. So I would do like lots of interviews with my family. So it's always been something I'm interested in. I'm just like interested in other narratives, other viewpoints within a very close knit family because everyone sees things differently. So I've just always been interested in that. And they're easy to access.
1: Switching gears a little bit, um, I feel like everything is going to all come back around. um, (laughs) But I wanted to kind of shoehorn this in really quick. When you have traveled to Alaska, do you feel a familiarity with or find similarities between Canadian artists and Alaskan artists?
0: I think I found the remoteness really similar um just like the starkness of the landscape i mean Ala- anchorage well and alaska in general is a very anchorage is a beautiful city especially what's around it you know you have the mm-hmm. ocean the mountains and you know the topography really varies but it's such a dramatic landscape just driving i used to, i went there when i was younger my my parents like to drive all over north america And so I've driven from Alberta all the way up. And it really does... It is different. I find people are more spiritual in Alaska. Mm. Or more openly spiritual. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I found that really interesting as a contrast. Um, Whereas, like, I find Canadians a little bit more closed on that. It's not that they're not spiritual. They're just more closed on that topic. But I really felt like... The distance between people was greater, just like it is here. And there was like a a real openness, a real honesty in how people talked, which isn't always like that down South.
1: Do you find that? I do. Yeah. I, I think that Alaska is a very, or can be a very harsh place to live and people, in my experience that live in harsh places have to find reasons for living there. (laughs) And I think that a lot of that comes through in spirituality. Ah. You know, you, you find, um, what's a good way to put this. You find a reason in understanding. And I I hope I'm not belittling it because I'm very spiritual. Ah. And, and I think that, uh, that comes from being Alaskan.
0: Well, I could put it this way. There's this sort of sharp contrast between life and death, I feel like, in these colder climates. And so you kind of have to have like a belief system or like um, you kind of have to like just sort of give up a surrendering a little bit to sort of larger forces. And one thing that was really beautiful was community. So we did a bit of community engagement when we were up there in Anchorage and there was a lot of really strong community connections. And you could tell that that was intrinsic to everyone's sort of survival, not just in terms of physical survival, but like emotional and mental survival. And I really love that. I I didn't see that so directly here in a lot of the workshops that I do architecturally um, with a lot of the user groups I work with, which is in schools or cultural centers. People will still talk about community, of course, but I really felt like people understood that it was important to engage with other people and that there was like an honesty to that. And I love that.
1: Yeah, I think that what you just did there is you perfectly articulated what I was unable to articulate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I appreciate that you said that you're also spiritual too, reconfirming that I wasn't like crazy. People get kind of weird when you say spiritual because they think they're like, what does that mean? Does that mean you believe in ghosts or believe in religion? And it's like kind of all of that.
1: Yeah, totally. I think that when, you know what I think is that it is very difficult to not be spiritual when you are, for example, in Thompson Pass, Alaska, which is right outside of Valdez, and you are looking up at the sky and it is the most unbelievable northern lights that you've ever seen in your life. Mm -hmm. And it is something that is so otherworldly that it is very difficult not to become spiritual in that moment, you know?
0: Oh, it's so true.
1: And when you continue to have experiences like that, you just become more and more molded into the spiritual person.
0: Yeah. Just, yeah, just the surrendering is kind of beautiful. You can't, you really can't control elements in these kinds of environments. Otherwise, you're sort of defeated from the beginning. Or you miss the beauty of your environment.
1: And I think that when you are put into more of a man-made environment you are able to at least feel like you can control more Mm -hmm. rather than Mm -hmm. being out in the elements.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah I really I agree with that I really really agree with that you have good questions.
1: That's awesome thank you.
0: (laughs) You you know what also so I'm just I'm just looking a little bit at some slides that I had done through the community engagement um, portion which I really loved um, when we came there to do like an understanding of Because we, uh, you know, Julie had asked us as part of the seed lab to create installations throughout the city. And because I'd never been to Anchorage, you know, in recent times, I didn't really know what the footprint was. And understanding local content is really important to me. I don't just like suggesting ideas without knowing what's going on there, Mm -hmm. particularly in a political sense, because I always want to make sure people have a greater feeling of purpose when they experience artwork or design. And so I felt like if I don't understand the political climate, then I can't really work there. So I suggested that we come there. I I brought my employer, Vivian Ask, who I work for in the architectural firm, because she does community engagement really well, in order for us to understand, like, what's the temperature in that city? And a few things that had come out of that community engagement that I just still really, like, kind of hold close to my heart, like, that made it feel very unique to me And a few things that they had said in this, you know, we asked things like, what is success for you in this community? Or, you know, what would you like to see in artwork in the city? They said things like magic. They said they wanted to see magic or feel magic. Mm -hmm. Um, They also wanted to see transformation, which again is another word for magic in my mind. And they also said that they wanted to be future forward or future positive which is a term I would not really heard before from a community engagement. And I don't know, I just feel like that uniqueness of those comments, like this is why I like smaller communities or more remote communities, because these ideas are gold and so much more like less refined, which means to me a better idea than when you go to these larger cities.
1: I wonder if they are also less influenced by other people.
0: Yes. And also then maybe more unique, inherent to the area. And I think that's why I love living where I live and why I loved going to Anchorage because I felt very similar affinities to these kinds of ideas. But I felt like the residents there in the people that we engage with articulated it much more beautifully than I've seen in other workshops.
1: One of my friends refers to that type of kind of thinking is um, is a patient thinker. And I always am brought back to that where instead of just being um, just reacting to a situation or in this this case, maybe your environment uh, that eventually turns into a piece of art, you are sitting there with your thoughts and you're kind of gathering yourself and you're being a, a patient thinker rather than like Mm -hmm. an immediate reactionary Mm -hmm. but that's
0: again i think spirituality like contemplation Mm -hmm. waiting for things to come to you or waiting for you to explore things i think that's for me that feels like that's just another sort of i don't know it's fascinating
1: For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Music was produced by Keezy Baby.